Before we dive into, well, first of all, we've been going through for the last uh, three weeks, today's week four, we're going through a five-week series on the book of 1 John, and uh, so if you're just joining us today, we're going to find ourselves in the first six verses of 1 John 4. Uh, but before we dive in, I just want to thank any of you that are involved in our Adopt-A-Marine program. Um, there's uh, 40, about 40 Marines in my son-in-law's platoon, and they're over in Afghanistan, and they're, they're fighting a war. And, you know, it's sometimes my daughter's here, and, you know, she doesn't forget. Sometimes it's easy for us to forget, man, there's a war going on. We've got brothers and sisters and fathers and... Oh, they're fighting, and uh, it's hard to see it on that screen, but you might see it on the screens on the side. My son-in-law is, Rachel, isn't he the fourth one in, in the back on the left? <laughs> you need glasses like me then. Yeah, he's the fourth one in, in that back row from the left. So thank you. If you're praying for them, or you are writing them letters, or you're sending packages, uh, I want to say thank you. All right, 1 John uh, chapter 4. Um, how do you decide what you're going to believe? I mean, how do you, how do you decide what, what you're going to accept as the truth and what you're going to reject? I, th I think for some of us, we don't really have, we, we don't have a filter. We, we don't, we, don't, we haven't really developed a worldview by which we are going to process information and either accept something as true or reject it. And so what happens is we're susceptible to just any old thought or teaching or belief that comes along. And the problem is we shouldn't believe everything. There ought to be a filter somehow. You shouldn't believe everything you're thinking. Because it's not all true. I mean, these, these are just some really clear examples to me of things that aren't true. But obviously we don't all believe these aren't true because we pass them around to each other. There's nobody in Nigeria with millions of dollars in their bank account. And they have to get it out of the country. And they need you. They need your help. They need your bank account information. And they're going to give you a percentage? Really? There are no ex-communist uh, disgruntled computer workers that have hacked into NORAD and uh, implanted a virus. And so if you open their email with the subject line, launch nuclear strike now, you're not going to start World War III against Russia and the former Soviet states. Okay? You can open that email and know you are not ending the world. Cell phone numbers aren't going public. Medically trained criminals aren't stealing your kidneys. And if you forward an email by Nokia, they're not going to send you a phone. Microsoft isn't going to give you an Xbox. Delta's not going to give you a free airline ticket. So you don't have to send your email around to 10 people. But you know what? Some of us do those things. Some of us forward those emails. And we post things on Facebook, you know, Hey, like this picture, and this person will get some medical treatment that they need. We need to be more discerning. We, and maybe those are stupid, but what about when it comes to who God is or who I am? 
and what I'm doing here. I mean, do you ever stop to just think, what are we doing here? What are we doing on earth? Why are we here? And, and big picture, there are really just two worldviews. There's two ways to process information and to live your life and to decide what's important to you, what's not important, what's true, what's not true. And you know, Paul talks about it in uh, Romans chapter 1, and we've looked at it before, but I think it's worth looking at again. Romans 1.25 says, They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than creator God, who is forever praised. Amen. So there's the truth of God, which he's revealed to us, and then there's everything else. The problem is everything else takes so many different forms, and some of it sounds pretty good. And, and so the only way to combat that is to know the truth. If I know the truth, then I can see the error coming. Now, I want to pull back just for a minute. Big picture. God has created us to walk in relationship with him, to walk in friendship with him, to know him, to love him, to worship him, to serve him. We exist for him. I mean, Colossians 1.16 says, all things were created, speaking about Jesus, all things were created by him, and for him. I love that, but I don't always believe it. My actions don't always bear that out. All things, you and me, this world, all things were created by him and for him. You and I exist for him. But if we don't know that, well, then we'll live life on our own terms. We'll do our own thing. So there's the truth of God, which he's revealed, and there's a lie. And the lie takes many different forms. Now, here's what happens. If you, well, go back to 1 John 4. John starts out and he says, Dear friends, well, let's back up to the end of chapter 3, because there he kind of he paints a picture about what he's going to talk about in these first six verses in chapter 4. This is the command, to believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. I love 1 John because there's so many times where you see the word because or this is how you know. I mean, sometimes we'll, we'll have a question about our faith and John is saying, this is how you'll know. Well, you'll know by the spirit he gave us. So he put his spirit in us. And so that's how we know we're in him. But then he says in chapter 4, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Why? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. False prophets, false teachers. They existed then, they exist today. And the problem is there's many of them. There's not just a few might even say most. Test the spirits. And I think it's interesting. He's not saying test the prophets, not test the teachers. He's saying test the spirits. John is presupposing we know there's the truth of God. And then, there's, then there are lies. 
that come from the father of lies, that come from the enemy, that come from Satan. Back in 1 Timothy 4, Paul said it this way, the spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Some of us are susceptible to abandoning the faith and following deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Why? Because we don't know the truth. And so any old belief system comes along and we think, well, that sounds good. That sounds logical. It sounds loving. It sounds caring. It's not judgmental. And so we adopt it. But if we knew it was taught by a demon, that, it, that, that the teaching behind that teacher was coming from a demonic source, a deceiving spirit, what would we do? We'd reject it. We would know that's a lie. But the enemy's subtle. Sometimes he just tells a little lie. It's a half-truth. In some parts of the world, people have been deceived into believing just the, the total opposite of Christianity. I mean, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, that sounds harsh, doesn't it? It sounds exclusive. It sounds like we, we're right and everybody else is wrong. But we didn't make that up. The one who made us said it. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one. There aren't many paths to God. That would be a lie. That would be, there's the truth of God, and then there's a lie. If you're not walking according to the truth, that there's one God, he revealed himself in Jesus, he died on the cross for our sin, and I'm to give my life to him and walk with him and serve him, if, that, if we're not living according to that truth, then the lie is, because I was made to worship, I'm going to worship someone or something. I will look for something to serve. And there are other world religions from Islam to Hinduism to Buddhism where we can't all be right. Think about it. Because we say, this says, there's only one way. Hinduism would say there's many ways, there's many gods. Islam would say there's one God, but his name is Allah. And Jesus might have been a good prophet or teacher, but he wasn't God. Okay, th those are in conflict then. They can't both be true. I mean, think about it. What is truth? Truth is what is, right? It can't be both what is that Jesus is God in the only way and that there are multiple ways. Now, for some of you, that is, you're, you're, there's something stern in you that you don't like that. You don't like the idea that Christianity has to be so exclusive. Why, why can't we embrace other faiths and other religions? Well, we can love those people, but I'm, I mean... Why can't we be more open-minded? Well, I want to be open-minded until I know what the truth is. I believe this is true. Well, then I'm going to become closed-minded to ideas that attack this. Am I willing to talk that through with someone? Absolutely. 
But it can't both be true that Jesus is the only way and there are many ways. Both can't be true. But the problem is our world system, 1 John 5, 19, Jonathan will get into chapter 5 next week. It says the whole world is under the control of the evil one. This world system is under his control and so he will use this world system to attack the truth. There are deceiving spirits and things taught by demons that would seek to attack truth. Now, why is it so important to know the truth? Well, think about it. If, if, there's, if there's one God and he's revealed himself in Christ and he's the only way to experience forgiveness, I need to know that. That he has a claim on my life that all things exist by him and for him. I need to know that. You need to know that. The world needs to know that. So what would God's enemy want to do? Would want to sow any kind of lie he could to get us to believe anything other than the truth. And so John goes on. He says, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. So how can you know if a teaching is coming from God or from a deceiving spirit? Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have already heard is coming and even now is already in the world. Now, there were teachers who thought the body was bad, it was evil, the material world was evil, it was just the spiritual that was good. And think about it, we've talked about it before, but that's where we kind of get this view of heaven that we're just going to float around in some bright light forever. Why? Well, because the body's evil. The spiritual is good, the material is not. But that wasn't true. Jesus Christ came in the flesh. God came in a human body. God made Adam and Eve and you and me in physical bodies. These aren't evil. They're just fallen. We're going to be redeemed and be given new bodies and we will live on earth forever. If you know Christ, this is where heaven's going to be on earth. It's not some spiritual dimension in which we float around and have no bodies. Think about it. You probably don't desire heaven if you're thinking it's just floating around forever in a cloud. But if you think of heaven more as the best day you ever experienced on earth times a million, well, now I can start to get excited about that. No pain, no cancer, no conflicts, no sin, but all the best stuff of life. So you, cannot, you, can, you can easily discern. That's like test number one. If a teaching is true, does the teacher acknowledge, does that belief system acknowledge that Jesus Christ is God and came in the flesh and died in our place? If it doesn't, it's really easy to reject it as not true. Don't believe it. And then don't fall into thinking, well, there are many paths to God. problem is we've all grown up I mean another one is is the whole theory of evolution we've all grown up in school 
at least if you went to public school, I still remember the fifth grade textbook with you know, the, the primates that are becoming more and more upright, and then here I am. It took billions of years, but that's how it worked. But it's not true. Do you know there's no evidence for that theory? Where did the theory of evolution, where did Darwinism come from? It came from an attempt to try to explain life, creation, apart from a god. So why in the world would we ever try to take a godless theory, marry it to the Bible, and try to come up with something that makes sense to us? It's because we haven't been discerning, we haven't known the truth, we haven't believed the truth, so then we hear something taught to us in school, kind of makes sense, sort of. If I don't know the truth, I'm going to believe it. Well, now, how am I supposed to marry this theory of evolution and a universe that's 13.6 billion years old? How do I marry that to the Bible? Because I don't want to be thought of as backwards and stupid and narrow-minded and unscientific. So I try to marry the two, and so it wasn't a literal six days of creation. It was eras. Here, again, if you're struggling, well, let me suggest a book. The Case for a Creator, written by Lee Strobel, is a great book if you're struggling with what I was just talking about. But when it comes to the case for intelligent design, Jesus being that designer, or, or, or do we believe in Darwinism? There was a guy named Robin Collins, and he had earned degrees in physics, mathematics, and philosophy. Smart guy. He was talking about the fine-tuning of the universe and how precise everything had to be fine-tuned for life to exist, for us to even be here, for the earth to be able to <laughs> spin around the sun. The fine-tuning has conservatively been estimated to be at least one part in a hundred million, billion, 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 billion. That would be a 10 followed by 153 zeros. That's inconceivably precise. That is how precise the universe was fine-tuned to produce life. I personally don't have enough faith to believe that everything came from nothing. That, that chaos produced order and information. That non-life produced life. That, that non-living chemicals self-assembled into living beings. I don't have that kind of faith. There are six feet of DNA coiled inside every one of the 100 trillion cells that make up your body. It's the chemical alphabet that spells out precise assembly instructions for all the proteins from which our bodies are made. No hypothesis has come close to explaining how information got into biological matter. Think about that. How would superintelligence make its way into biological matter? Even if you can believe that everything came from nothing at a point in time and has no cause. 
and therefore has no meaning. You know, one of the ways that some, some will try to get around this idea that the, the, the universe is so complex, so intricate, so precise, so beautiful, you know, that it, it had to have had a designer. Some will get around that by saying there are actually millions of universes and maybe they exist either farther out in space or in a different dimension. And so it would just follow that if you have that many universes, that one would develop and support life. I don't, I, I don't have enough faith. Nanoscientist James Tor said, only a rookie who knows nothing about science would say science takes away from faith. If you really study science, it will bring you closer to God. Astrophysicist and priest George Coyne said, nothing we learn about the universe threatens our faith. It only enriches it. But what are we taught? We're, we're taught that that bankrupt theory that has zero evidence is true. And if it is true... What does that mean for Genesis 1 through 6? It can't be true. Can't have both. Again, why would, we, why would we take this theory that's meant to explain the universe apart from a God, marry it to our Bible, and say, okay, now maybe God used evolution. Maybe... But if we're not discerning... If we don't learn to think critically, if we, if we don't know the truth, see, if you don't know the truth, you'll believe anything. Things taught by deceiving spirits and demons. That What's the goal? Big picture. What, what's the goal there? It's to move you in a direction away from God. How about the little half-truths, the teachers that would say, well, God is all about fulfilling your desires and, and helping you be a wonderful, swell person, and you'd never hear anything about sin, never hear anything about the fact that our most basic, fundamental core problem is that we're on a path away from God. That's our natural bent. We don't want to follow him. We don't want to obey him. And all along, God says, this way is life. Walk according to my ways. But we listen to the world system that says, freedom is me being able to do whatever I want to do. And don't you dare judge me for it. So I go my own way, and most often I experience chaos and destruction, at least conflict, pain. And all along God invites me, turn. Repent. Turn away from your own way and walk according to my ways. And that's freedom. Freedom is obedience. Freedom is walking according to God's ways. But the world would have us believe freedom is I get to do whatever I want to do. So that's really that, that first test. Who is Jesus? And then as I begin to get to know this book, these other beliefs come and I can know that's not true. And then if I'm discerning, I can kind of peel back the curtain and know that's being taught by a deceiving spirit. I 
I mean, go back all the way to Genesis 1 again. Genesis 1 and 2, marriage. God defined marriage as between a man and a woman, not between a man and a man, not between two women. That may be another thing that something in you just doesn't like hearing that. Here's one of the value, valuable things about going through 1 John. There's a, there's a number of different tests in here. Like when he says, this is how we know he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Who authored this? The spirit. So if a belief comes along and says, well, you can redefine marriage however you want to define it, then God didn't really say it that way. Well, my question would be, would the Holy Spirit who is in you, would he confirm this is true or, or would he be okay with you defining things however you want to? Here, here's what I would ask you to do. If this idea that truth is absolute, there's a right and a wrong, that truth has been revealed by God in his word, not simply made up as we go along. If, if this idea that we can define marriage however we want to, if some of those things are causing you to kind of bristle, first of all, let me say, it's not my idea. Okay? I mean, I like being an inclusive guy. And we can love people that disagree with us, but I don't have to accept everyone's way of living, everyone's way of thinking, everyone's beliefs. Why would I want to, why would I want to adopt a lie? But if you're struggling with some of that, I would ask you to, one, spend time in his word. See what God says to you. And along with that, you might want to at least stop and, and check yourself to say, am I in the faith? Could God's spirit be in me and me disagree with the fact that Jesus is the only way? God's definition of marriage is true and right. God's account of creation is right. Can I believe all these other things that the world system is teaching me and still be in the faith? Can I still, can I say that? I mean, th this sobers me. Back in chapter 2, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. We're not going to get to it today, but later in chapter 4, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. If we think that we can do whatever we want to do, not obey God's commands, and how can we obey them if we don't even know them? If we think we can do whatever we want and still say, I love God? Or if we think we can hate this person, but say, I still love God? John says, you're lying to yourself. You're deceived. 
What's interesting is 54% of Protestant adults read the Bible each week. So 46% don't read it each week. And, it, and 54, that's a week. It's not every day. 65% of Bible readers haven't read all of the New Testament. Less than 50% of adults can name all four Gospels. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you know what they are. What's interesting, too, is that we spend seven hours a day between online and television, and then we say, I'm just too busy. I don't have enough time to read the Bible. I've got this, this, and this to do. No wonder we don't know the truth. And then we're open. And again, here's, here's what I want you to understand. These other beliefs, they're not benign. They are fueled by demonic sources, deceiving spirits, things taught by demons. These other beliefs that are contrary to God's word, they're not neutral. There's an agenda behind them because there's an enemy behind them. And the agenda is to keep you going in your own direction. Either one, so you'll never come to know Christ, or two, if you already know him, so you'll continue to walk in deception so you'll never experience the life that he has for you. The only antidote to false teaching is the truth. There's no other way. You'll never know what to believe and what to reject if you can't line it up against the truth. And no, that teaching doesn't line up. Again, I know some of you are probably sitting here today and you're just, I don't like what he's saying. You know what? Sometimes I don't like what I read either. That whole thing about if you don't obey his commands but you still say you love him, you're a liar. I've got to catch myself sometimes. But there's the truth of God and there's the lie. And it's really easy to exchange them if we don't know the truth and we don't walk according to it. We'll adopt any old thing that the world wants to teach us. Ty and the band are going to come up and play one last song. If, um, if some of this has maybe struck you the wrong way, you, you can set up a time. I'll talk to you today or next couple of weeks. Jonathan would love to talk with you. Alan would love to talk with you. If you're not sure how to even get into this book and to begin to assimilate what's true, we'd love to meet with you. Or we'll connect somebody with you. Again, what, what are we doing here? We're here to try to equip each other with the truth so that we can walk according to God's ways. And then we can do that in somebody else's life. Actually, one of the best ways for you to learn and apply the truth is to know you need to teach it to somebody else. And by the way, we're all commanded to do that. Again, the same, the same God who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me also said, go and make disciples. Go teach others what I've taught you. 
That's how we all know today. Somebody taught somebody who taught somebody, here we are. Who are you going to teach the truth to? First, you have to know it. Lord, we, um, we are, we're sitting ducks without the truth. The enemy will pick us off. And we will walk in error and not even know it. And we need you. Holy Spirit, we need you to, we need your wisdom. We need your power. We need you to teach us. We need you to take your word and lead us to those passages that we need to, we need to obey. We need to uh, change our thinking. Apart from you, we just don't have any hope. Lord, we love you. We want to obey you. Help us to obey you. Help us to know the truth and walk in it. Amen.